Just before Naomi, uh, our Naomi, went away to start her first serve gap year last year, we went out for lunch together, just the two of us, daddy and daughter, day, and then we went out to see a movie called Just Mercy. And this is the book by the same name. If you haven't read the book, you, you're very welcome to borrow it. Uh, Just Mercy, here's the book by the same name, which the movie's based on. And if you haven't seen the film, then I would really, really encourage you to see the film. It's a fantastic movie. It's a great, great film. Really encourage you to watch it. It's the true story of a young lawyer called Brian Stevenson, who, inspired by his Christian faith, takes on the case of a man wrongly convicted of a murder because of a false testimony. And we're going to watch the trailer for the movie now. Thanks. Tell me everything that happened. The first time I visited death row, I wasn't expecting to meet somebody the same age as me. From a neighborhood just like ours. Could have been me, Mama. But what you're doing is going to make a lot of people upset. You always taught me to fight for the people who need the help most. Your life is still meaningful, and I'm going to do everything possible to keep them from taking it. You don't know what you into down here in Alabama when you're guilty from the moment you're born. God. Mr. McMillan. We done here. Mr. McMillan, please. I was just about to give up when I got a call from a Harvard lawyer looking to start a legal center for inmates on death row. I was in before he even offered me the job. You the lawyer? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for driving all the way out here. Most lawyers barely make time to call. I can't believe you talked to all my people and said you were going to fight for me. I did. That mean a lot. If you go digging in those wounds, you're going to be making a lot of people very unhappy. When people care about a thing that much, they'll do anything to get what they want. When I first learned about all this, it was like looking at a river full of drowning people and not having any way of helping them. You ain't quitting, is you? No, sir. Each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. I know what it's like to be in the shadows. It's my dad. He did nothing wrong. It's never too late for justice. You're the only one kid enough to fight for me. If we can look at ourselves closely, we can change this world for the better. We all need grace. We all need mercy. I got my truth back. You gave that to me. And ain't nobody gonna take that from us. In Just Mercy, one man's lies, one man's false testimony led to the actual death of another man. And the film portrays that situation really powerfully. And then another man's false testimony would have led to the death of a man called Walter McMillan. That's the true story of his case. But due to the legal campaigning of Brian Stevenson, played in the movie by Michael B. Jordan, and Walter McMillan, played by Jamie Foxx, was eventually freed from prison and was found not guilty and this outrageous uh, miscarriage of justice based on a false testimony someone's lies in court was turned over and was put straight and it's outrageous isn't it and it's staggering that 
a man could be put to death or could spend their life in prison or have their life ruined in some way because of the false testimony of a witness in a court case. It's outrageous that that could happen. But the sad fact is that there have been many, many people throughout history and probably still uh, are being today put to death because of lies in court cases, because of false testimony. And there are many people serving long sentences in our prisons today here in the UK because of false testimony, because of miscarriages of justice. Lies in a court case, what we might call a a false testimony, can have massive implications for the accused. And if the crime carries the death penalty that it did there in the movie, then those lies bring about the murder of someone, the wrongful death. That's murder. We looked at that a few weeks ago, didn't we? Most lies that people tell about other people aren't told in court cases where where the death penalty is the outcome. That's not the case for most lies. But when a person tells a lie about another person, when they engage in false testimony, whilst they might not bring about their physical murder, they're nevertheless, in effect, murdering their character. It's what we call character assassination, isn't it? Just as according to Jesus, when one person hates another person, they are actually guilty of murder in their heart. And when one person lusts after another person, they're guilty of adultery in their heart, even if neither the hatred or the the lust actually lead to a physical act. So when one person tells lies about another person, when they give false testimony, they effectively murder that person. They do it in their heart, and sometimes in real life, that person's character, that person's reputation is murdered. It is put to death, if you like. Now, we're working our way through the Ten Commandments uh, here at Region, and today we're looking at the Ninth Commandment, which is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, on your, ta- uh, uh, on your seat, there should be an, um, an outline there if you want to use that. It, uh, if you find it helpful, then it's there for you. Uh, otherwise, you can just uh, leave it to one side if it's a distraction. But the first thing that we're looking at today is this ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And this commandment was specifically focused on legal court cases, legal proceedings where a person had been accused of something and where witnesses were called to give evidence. It wasn't just kind of casual conversation. This was a court case that, that, is, that is in mind here. And there were lots of cases in the Jewish law where God had commanded that the death penalty was the outcome if somebody was found guilty. The Jewish law, of course, was not just the Ten Commandments, it was the whole package of laws that followed on uh, from the Ten Commandments. And you can read, uh, if you read on from Exodus 20, you find those, and of course they're repeated in Deuteronomy as well. And so it was massively important that when a witness was involved in a court case that they didn't give false testimony against the person who was in court against the accused because a person's life was often literally at stake. The fact that certainly half, probably most of the uh, offences under the Jewish law carried the death penalty, so someone's life was really at stake if false testimony was given. And God expanded on this headline commandment in the Ten Commandments in other parts of the law, which he does right throughout the law. And for instance, we read this in Exodus 23 verse 7, have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. And the guilty there is the false witness, the, fa- the person who gives the false testimony. And, and to force people to think really seriously before they gave false testimony under the Jewish legal system and before they lied about somebody in a court case, God gave these instructions in Deuteronomy 17. This is what he says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. 
The hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death, and then the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. So under the law that God gave to Moses, every legal matter had to be established by two or three witnesses. And that was partly to prevent miscarriages of justice. The more witnesses you've got, the less likelihood there is of, uh, of a miscarriage of, in, of justice taking place. And if the crime the person was accused of carried the death penalty and they were found guilty, then the witnesses for the prosecution had to be the first to take part in their execution. And part of the purpose for that was to get the witness for the prosecution to really think twice and three times and four times and so on, to really think carefully before they gave false testimony. If they were thinking of giving false testimony, the fact that if the person was found guilty, they would be the first person to be involved in their execution, hopefully that would make them think seriously before they lied in court. And God elaborates on this and then broadens it slightly in Leviticus 19.16 where he says this, Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So false testimony is where one person tells a lie about another person in a legal situation, in a court case, with potentially life-threatening consequences, hugely potentially devastating consequences. Slander is when a person makes a false or a damaging statement about another person and perhaps in a more general situation. They're telling lies about them, but it's not in a legal court case, perhaps in a conversation between two people. But it might still have ended up leading to a court case. That, that kind of uh, sort of casual conversation might have ended up with formal charges being brought. And then eventually the person might have been put to death. So the slander, the casual lying about another person, could still endanger, sorry, could still endanger their neighbour's life. The slandering is really just the more casual, the, the kind of unofficial version, if you like, of giving false testimony. But it's just as wrong, and under the Jewish legal system, could be could potentially be just as dangerous. So God was making it clear that that telling lies about other people wasn't just prohibited in a court case; it was actually wrong in every situation. Now, we're not part of the nation of Israel, and we're not under the legal system that God gave to his people through Moses. So this, isn't, uh, this doesn't exactly apply to us here today. In the UK today, nobody is going to face the death penalty in a court case as a result of false testimony, and that's a relief to us, isn't it? Although that can still happen in some countries, such as the USA, uh, as we saw there um, on the video, and it can still happen in many countries. And, and bizarrely, you can still shoot a Welshman, apparently, in the grounds of Hereford Cathedral on a Sunday with a longbow. There's the grounds of Hereford Cathedral. So, Joel, if you're ever going through Hereford, don't do it on a Sunday and keep away from those grounds because you might get, you might get killed. But, but, false, but I think that's the only situation that I could find where someone can still be put to death. And it seems like that slipped through the, the kind of legal system and it's still on the statute book somewhere. But false testimony in a court case in the UK uh, doesn't carry the death penalty or, or, or the... the uh, the, the things that they're being charged with doesn't carry the death penalty. But false testimony in our legal system can still have hugely damaging consequences for the person who is wrongly accused. It could lead to a person spending many years in prison, and it has done. It could bankrupt a person. It could destroy and, and definitely, almost certainly, destroy their family and just cause massive problems. And ultimately, it murders their character. It murders their reputation. They're physically alive, perhaps, but reputationally dead. Their character has been murdered. 
Slandering someone in the UK today, basically telling lies about somebody in a non-legal setting, can also still have devastating consequences. Whilst here in the UK today, if I slander you, if I make a false or damaging statement about you, it won't lead to your physical death, but I can still be guilty of murdering effectively your character. We sometimes use that phrase, don't we? Character assassination. And that's exactly what slander is. It's exactly what telling lies about another person is and, and does. It, it's character assassination. It's murdering that person's reputation. False testimony in that legal setting or slander in a, in a more casual setting murders an innocent person. Write that on your outline. This is really serious. This is why I want you to write it down. False testimony or slander murders an innocent person. It might not physically murder them, but it murders their character. It murders their reputation. It can ruin their life, literally. It's really important that we understand where telling a lie about another person comes from. Lies are the opposite to truth, aren't they? Just as death is the opposite to life. The Bible says this, God who does not lie. In fact, in Hebrews it says, it is impossible for God to lie. And that's because God is sinless and he's perfect and he's holy and he's pure and holy and, and, and just righteous and perfect in every single way. And lying, of course, has a very different origin. Lying comes from the devil. Lying comes from Satan. Jesus said these words on one occasion as he was talking to a group of people. He said this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So just as murder comes from Satan and is the opposite of life, which comes from God, so lying comes from Satan. He's the father of lies, says Jesus. Lying in whatever form it takes, whether it's lying about others or it's lying about ourselves, comes from Satan. He's the father. He's the origin of lies. All lies originate from Satan. And whenever we tell a lie, however big or small it might be, about others or about ourselves, we're following effectively in the footsteps of Satan instead of following in the footsteps of God. God equals truth and life, whereas Satan equals lies and death. And when we tell the truth, we're following in the, in the example and in the footsteps of God as that life-giving, truth-telling person. But, but when we tell lies, we're following in the example of Satan, who is that, that death-bringing and, 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 and lie-originating being. God equals truth and life, and Satan equals lies and death. Truth builds up, doesn't it? Truth builds up, and truth gives life. Lies, on the other hand, are destructive, and they cause death. According to Jesus, the real problem is actually in our hearts. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus says that false testimony and slander come out of our mouths, but they start in our hearts. And that's where the problem lies. That's where our problem lies. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the sins that Jesus mentions here directly mirror the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth commandments. Murder, adultery, stealing, and false testimony. And Jesus is saying here that the real problem that we all have is a heart problem. It's our hearts that need dealing with. It's not so much what comes out of here. The problem is 
much deeper and goes much deeper. We all need a new heart because our hearts are sinful. The reason people tell lies is because their hearts are deceptive, their hearts are faulty. And we all need a new heart. According to Jesus, we're all murderers. We're all adulterers. We're all thieves. And according to Jesus, we're all liars. Every one of us has broken every one of these commandments and more. And that leaves us guilty of sin and therefore facing God's wrath and God's judgment. But because he loves us and loves us with a passion, and we've seen that this morning, haven't we, in in the bread and the wine as we've taken that together, God's love for us. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Because he loves us, God has provided a solution to the problem of our sin. And that solution is Jesus. Peter says this about Jesus. He committed no sin and crucially no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus was the only human that has ever lived that has never told a lie. Every single other human has told at least one lie and probably many thousands more. Not only did Jesus never lie, he never committed any sin of any kind. He was perfect, he was holy. And because he was perfect, because he was holy, he was able to become our substitute sacrifice there on the cross and die in our place and take the punishment for all our sins, including all our lies and all our deceit. It's ironic, isn't it, that Jesus' death from a human perspective came about because of the false testimony of some witnesses in his trial. The Bible says this, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forwards. Jesus suffered at the hands of people who were breaking the ninth commandment. From a human perspective, he died because of people giving false testimony. And whilst that was an outrage and the greatest miscarriage of justice in human history, it was nevertheless the means by which God had planned that Jesus would deal with the problem of our sin. And Peter says this, he himself, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment for all the lies that I have ever told. And because of his death, I am healed and forgiven through trusting in him. As Michael B. Jordan said, as he played Brian Stevenson in the movie trailer we watched earlier, we all need grace. We all need mercy. We all need grace. We all need mercy. Jesus offers us that grace. Jesus offers us that mercy that we need because we're all liars. We're all thieves. We're all adulterers. We're all murderers. My old identity before I trusted in Jesus was that of a murderer, an adulterer, a thief, and a liar. But because I've trusted in Jesus, I have a new identity. And the Bible tells me I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. All because of Jesus' grace and Jesus' mercy. And if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus this morning, then although according to Jesus you were a murderer and you were an adulterer and you were a thief and you were a liar, now you too are a holy one. You're a saint. That's no longer your identity. Your new identity is that of a holy one, that of a saint. And that's because we've been given a new heart and we've been given a new identity. We've been born again. 
Peter says this, for you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So if if we've trusted in Jesus, if you're someone this morning at home or here in the room that has trusted in Jesus, then we have been born again. We are new people. Our old identity as thieves, as murderers, as liars, as whatever else, the uh, sins that we've broken and fallen short of, that is gone and we are new people. We have a brand new identity in and through Jesus. And what's the outcome of that in practical terms? Well, as Peter says here, because we've been born again, therefore... Rid yourselves of all of the behaviors of that old identity. You are no longer that, so stop living like that. Because we've been born again, we need to get rid of things like deceit and slander. And as we get rid of that old way of living, which is tied up in our old identity, we then have to actively choose to live by our new identity with the new behaviors that go with it. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Particularly, they're talking about within church life. We have to make that daily choice to put on our new self, our new identity, which is about living God's way and following God's example of righteousness and holiness. And that, of course, includes speaking truthfully to those around us, speaking truthfully about ourselves and speaking truthfully about others as well. And at the same time, to taking our, uh, off our old way of living, which includes putting off falsehood, in other words, no longer engaging in deceit and lying and slander and false testimony. Paul says this in Colossians 3 verse 9, he says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So lying to other people, whether that's about ourselves or lying about others or just lying to other people in general, that's part of our old identity. It's part of the way we used to live. We've taken that old identity off, just like taking off a a kind of set of dirty old smelly clothes. We've taken them off and we now have a whole brand new way of living with, with, with new behaviors. Lying, slander, deceit, false testimony, these are all part of our old identity. And if we've been born again, then those things have no place in our life anymore, or they shouldn't have. One of the things that happens when you act as a witness in a court case here in the UK is that you have to swear to tell the truth. You have to swear by Almighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And and some of you might have been in court cases and, and had to do that. And the reason for that is because our legal system here in the UK, which is actually largely built on the law of Moses in the Old Testament, actually, our legal system acknowledges that we will have people that will stand up in court and give false testimony. So, and so a witness has to swear to tell the truth to prove that what they're about to say actually can be believed. The very fact that we have to do this is because of false witnesses, false people giving false testimonies. The very fact that it happens is proof that people don't always tell the truth. If we were always trustworthy, then witnesses would never need to swear in court. This is what Jesus says about the concept of swearing to tell the truth. When he uses the word swearing, he's not talking about foul language. He's talking about swearing an oath. This is what Jesus says. Do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes 
and you'll know be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And Jesus' point is this, if we've been born again, if we're followers of Jesus, then we should simply be known as those who always tell the truth. We shouldn't need to swear to tell the truth. Our yes or our no, our, our answer should be sufficient. If you ask me a question and I say yes to that, then you should be able to trust my yes as being truthful and accurate. I shouldn't have to kind of really convince you that my yes is yes or my no is no or whatever other answer I give you. I should simply be known as somebody who always tells the truth. So when I answer to you, you take it at face value. You believe me because you know I'm trustworthy, hopefully. It's called having integrity. It's about being known as people who are trustworthy, who don't lie about ourselves or about others. We don't need to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm really serious here. I am telling the truth. Honest, please, will you believe me? I swear I'm telling the truth. We shouldn't need to say that. Because our yes should be taken as yes and our no as no. Anything beyond that, Jesus says, comes from the evil one. See, Jesus wants us to be known, write this down, as people of integrity. Jesus wants us to be known as people of integrity. We shouldn't have to convince other people that we're talking to that what we're saying is the truth because people should be able to rely on the truthfulness of whatever we say. We should be known as people who consistently tell the truth. And therefore, our yes can be relied upon as yes, and our no as no. It's probably unlikely that any of us here today or or watching at home have ever given a false testimony in a court case. You might have done, but I'm guessing, hoping it's unlikely. Just as most of us can probably say, well, I've never actually murdered anyone, or I've never actually committed adultery, or I've never actually robbed anyone. But as we read and study the Ten Commandments and, and, and see particularly what Jesus has to say about the Ten Commandments and the law... What we see is that Jesus digs deeper than just the kind of headline statement. We might never have given false testimony in a legal situation, in a court case, but what about the statements we make about other people in conversation, in a casual setting, with friends? Do we say things about people that aren't true? That's certainly slander, but in reality, slander is just an unofficial way of giving false testimony. When we make statements or comments about other people that aren't true, we're in effect murdering their character, murdering their reputation. And that's not what followers of Jesus, of Jesus should do. And when it happens to you, and maybe you've had, this, you've had this experience in your life, it's like having a knife stuck into you, isn't it? When people lie about us, when people tell lies about us, write lies about us, it really hurts, doesn't it? It's character assassination. It's murder. Those famous verses about love in 1 Corinthians state that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres and at the heart of being a follower of Jesus is the command to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves and Paul in this famous little verse here or a few verses defines what love looks like or gives us some uh, definitions of what love doesn't look like love doesn't dishonor other people by telling lies about them or misrepresenting them love doesn't delight in the evil of false testimony 
Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects other people and their reputations. When we repeat things that we've heard from other people that we know are not true or we think might not be true, then we're effectively complicit in slander and in character assassination. We need to think really carefully before we repeat things, and particularly if we know or if we have doubts about the the truthfulness of what's being said. We can take this a step further and ask ourselves if when we're recounting an, an incident or a conversation, do we do that accurately? Do we do it truthfully? Do we exaggerate stories? Do we stretch the truth? Do we make stories up for effect? Can we be relied upon to speak accurately and truthfully about things and about other people? What about giving false testimony about ourselves? Is what we say about ourselves truthful? Can we be relied upon to be people of integrity when it comes to talking about ourselves? I have a friend who's a a Christian who tells some fantastic stories about themselves, and their stories are very entertaining and interesting and always impressive. And there's always an element of truth in what they're saying, but most of it is exaggerated or simply not true. And it's great listening to them, but they lack integrity because you can never really rely on what they're saying to be true. And whilst what they're talking about might be of no real consequence, it's just a story from their past, but there's a, that's a terrible reputation to have, isn't it, as a follower of Jesus, someone who just can't be relied upon to be truthful. I just don't know whether that person's really telling me the truth or not. Something that we need to think through. Are we known as people of integrity? I'm so glad that despite the fact that according to the Ten Commandments, according to Jesus, I'm a liar, I'm a murderer, I'm an adulterer, and I'm a thief, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, in taking the punishment for all of those sins, for all those occasions that I have and will yet sin in different ways, and in so many more sins that I've committed and will yet commit, I am forgiven because of Jesus. I've been born again. I have a new heart, I have a new identity, I'm a saint, I'm a holy one because of God's grace, because of God's mercy. I am free from guilt, I am free from condemnation, I can boldly approach God's throne knowing that I should be struck down but actually bold, in boldness I can come and come right into his very presence because of what Jesus has done. And so what should my response be to that concept, to that information, to that truth? What should our response be to what God has done for us? What should our response be to God's grace and to that new identity that he's given to us as we've trusted in Jesus, if we've trusted in Jesus? The response should be to make that daily choice to follow God's way, which is the way of truth and the way of love. To be people who tell the truth and to be people who are known for telling the truth. To be people who are known for our integrity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who, in whom there was no deceit found. There was no deceit in his mouth. He never told a lie. He was never, temp- he was never uh, someone who even thought about telling lies. We thank you that though he was tempted in every way, he was resolute and never sinned. And we thank you for his holiness and his perfection. And we thank you that because he was sinless in every way, he was able to go to the cross and deal with our myriad of sins and all the many, many ways we have fallen short of your perfection, the many, many ways we've rebelled against you and still do. 
Father, thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave himself there, who dealt with our sin, who was punished in our place so that we could boldly approach your throne, knowing that we're new people dressed in, not in our own righteousness, but now right to our very core, holy and righteous people because of Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be people who, in response to these wonderful truths, uh, are determined to be people of truthfulness, to walk in the ways of God and not in the ways of Satan. Help us to be known for our truth, for our integrity. Help us to be reliable people that can always be relied on to tell the truth. We praise you. We worship you this morning. We thank you that we can approach you boldly. We praise you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.